it's a beautiful thing when you don't, you're not limited, can make it work in any market. And it gives you flexibility and less fear at playing in the real estate space when you recognize it's not just good and bad. It can all be good if you play your cards right. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. Your high octane boost of full on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hey, everybody, Ron Phillips here. Welcome back to the Get Real podcast. Here with Heather Marchin. I had a week off. Well, I guess it wasn't a week. I had a uh, show, show off. Uh, my life got a little bit interesting, but that's okay. We shan't. Did you talk about that at all? Like I have, I mean, no. I'm, <laughs> no. we are going to get back into this, but uh, I was absent because uh, I had a fire at one of my properties and, and I, I happened to be in the town <laughs> where the fire was at the time, which, which I think in Vegas odd, uh, I would have been a really wealthy man had I made that bet <laughs> that I would be there. So anyway, I apologize for missing, but I really had a little bit bigger fish to fry that day, so to speak. So I am glad to be back, Heather. It's good to be back as as a team, the dynamic duo here. And today we're gonna we're gonna talk we're gonna talk about all kinds of fun stuff, starting with real estate cycle. I think that's I think that's where we're picking up today. Um, this is gonna be fun. Anyway, if you guys, uh, I know you guys all like the show with Heather about financing, so you should like that episode. Just go back and like it, and then like this one too, and then. Um, you know, if you're feeling it, uh, leave us a, a written review. We've we've had some awesome reviews. Heather talked about that last week, our last show, and um, we really, really appreciate that. It's helping us tremendously reach more people. Anyway, really, yeah. really, it's really fun really for us, good. guys. We're not just talking to the wall, so that's fun. <laughs> yeah, we get great feedback from you guys. So, um, and if you hadn't noticed, we're, we we make the show for you, so um, we take your your feedback very seriously and. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the market, which is fantastic. Let's start with the real estate cycle, Heather. And, you know, this is going to be a challenge because we're going to talk about some things that would be way easier if we had some visual, but we don't have any visual aids. So we're going to describe it to you. I think in your mind, if you think about the real estate cycle, you picture like a big mountain and then you come down on the other side of the mountain. And I think most people, especially you know, with our last downturn, people thought we climbed this really big mountain and then we just fell off the other side and that we kind of start, we're starting all the way over again. That's really not how it works. The, if you, if you, you'll have to like imagine a mountain range where each mountain gets a little bit bigger than the next one, but there is a canyon in between. Heather and I were just talking about canyons because she's going to be going through some today. <laughs> It's my last uh, podcast from the RV. So. I know. This is, it's like this kind of a mixed, bad, sad, sad uh, happy kind of a mix of, of emotions here. But <laughs> she is going to be going through the canyon. So you got to imagine that the next mountain is a little bit taller than the last mountain. That's actually how the real estate cycles work. They, they continually go up, but in between the ups are... Sometimes, as you just did, we all experienced in 2008, wild downs, right? Yeah. So why does this happen? That's the real question. Why does this happen? I mean, right now, 
everybody can see all around them like tons of construction. If you remember back in like 2006, Heather, there was like, I mean, there's yeah. construction everywhere. It was like, it was madness how much construction there was. Yeah, and, and people speculating on it, right? So building without buyers in place, which is, you know, not entirely abnormal, but it seemed to be to the point of excessiveness, right? That it was everywhere. And so it was counting and betting on what had been happening to continue. And that's a tricky bet in real estate. Yeah, so builders build. If they outbuild the demand, it's just like any other thing, right? If yeah. car companies outbuild the cars for the demand, then what happens to the price of cars? They put them on sale. Yeah, they, ha they have to get rid of them so that they can continue yeah. to, to go. Well, it's the same thing. So builders overbuild, which they did in 2006 and seven, right? They overbuilt. We had glut of supply on the market. And then we had a whole bunch of other things. I'm just, I'm, I'm only talking about the real estate market right now, right? The cycle. We also had loans and all kinds of crazy crap before. But the real estate cycle is the same, right? So they overbuild and then the prices come down. We, mm -hmm. we, we eat up all of the additional supply and then what happens? Goes back up. Yeah. Demand like outstrips supply. Yeah. And here we go again, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. that's exactly what happens. It happens all the time, okay? So this is not a new phenomenon. It happens all the time. The mm -hmm. question really is, can you make money in any of these cycles? And if so, how? Yeah, that's the real beautiful. question. Because in the wonderful world of stocks, you have to buy low and sell high. That's the way it works, right? Now, you can do all the crazy stuff and, you know, put options and, you know, call options and all the crap that I don't understand that other people do. And you can make money in down cycles as well. But the majority of people don't know how to do that. Don't do that. You have to buy low, sell high. That's how you make money, right? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. in the real estate market, it's not that way, Heather. We have something unique. <laughs> it's really awesome because you can, I think the question I get asked a lot is, can I, should I buy now or should I wait? speculating again kind of that speculating word right of what's going to happen that happened before is it going to happen again and how much of a sale will there be um how much opportunity so i get that question all the time should i buy now or wait so there's some cool um things we'll teach you today about how you can make money in any cycle which is really awesome yeah and it has to do with the fact that there are more than one way to make money um, with, with rental real estate. There's just, there's more, right? Yeah. But we have, since we have a historic look now, we've got a, how many years is that? We're 12 years into the recovery, right? Mm -hmm. We can go back and we can actually look at the data. We can see what happened and we can play a really cool, fun, worst case scenario game because we literally can choose to buy a property at the top of the market, the very peak, and run it out for 10 years and see what happens. Mm -hmm. See what the return is. We can, also, we can also wait for the bottom. Just leave our money parked in the bank account, losing money every day, and we can buy at the, which no one can, right? Because you cannot Don't predict know or is. know <laughs> when the bottom really is. But <clears throat> we can do that. Because we can actually go back in time and pinpoint 
the exact bottom and buy. And then we can finish out the 10 years. And let's just run a decade and see what happens. Yeah, I think what's really impactful too on this is everyone thinks the bottom was 2008, 2009, you know, maybe pushing into 2010. So the bottom was not then. So I think that's a really good way of looking at this. When you're waiting for an economic downturn, you don't know when the bottom is. And it took years to get to the bottom in 2008, longer than you think. Yeah. And you can think that you know what's going to play out. And then the government can change the rules Mm -hmm. because they 100% changed the rules of the game, which prolonged the bottoming out. And it also prolonged the recovery. Mm -hmm. So it exacerbated the problem, what they did. So by them trying to solve problems, just like almost every other time they try to solve problems, they completely screwed it up. I mean, they really, really screwed it up. It's going to so, have its own cycle, even if, if we just get out of the way, right? <laughs> yep. They should, have just, they should have just gotten out of the way, and they shouldn't have put a whole bunch of regulations in there that artificially deflated the market and artificially kept it low yeah. and continues to artificially keep it low. In spite of the fact that we've fully recovered and then some, this would have happened much earlier Mm-hmm. Um, just take one thing, just one thing really quickly as an aside to this whole deal, appraisals. So the banks were forced to dump assets, not in the marketplaces where, not only in the marketplaces where there was a problem, but all across the country, the regulators forced them to dump assets. So they dumped assets in marketplaces that did not have this crazy problem of appreciation. Um, and they, destroyed the market because they put they put things on the market at 50 percent of what the what the market was at at the time and they lowered and reset the the bar at the same time the government put in and imposed regulations on the appraisers scared the crap out of them and so now they can only do a comparable sale they can't use the other two models the income approach and they can't do the cost approach and so with comparable sales now being 50% of what they should be in marketplaces that should not have fallen that much, they've artificially set the floor. And because of that, and because they were so heavily regulated, and because if the comparable sale down the street was X, and that's the only thing you can comp it with, that means that the price can't go up. It's it's impossible to have appreciation when that is the only method by which you can uh, appraise properties. And so what did it do? It, it set the floor and just like a dead patient, mm-hmm. it just beeped one long yeah. beep for a long time. Yeah. And it took years for the builders, even when there were loans back, it took years for the builders to be able to build because they, they wouldn't comp them mm-hmm. with anything other than these REO properties, right? These foreclosure properties. And it prolonged the the downturn in the real estate market, at least. Yeah, I, it's it's crazy on this side of things to think how that all played out and how long it took. Because you're right, it should have been really fast, you know. And so, they, we still have this to yeah. this day. We have appraisers because of their uh, appraisal management corporations that they that they put together these AMCs where it's Russian roulette, and you can get you know Johnny Lunchbucket that just got his appraiser license <laughs> who doesn't know what he's doing. 
and yeah. he can appraise your property at twenty or thirty thousand dollars under market value. There's literally nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. Literally nothing, because they work for no one anymore. So the government completely screwed up the appraisal market. Just yeah. in my opinion, they destroyed it. So appraisals are not what they once were. They do not work for you when you buy a property. They do not work for the bank when you buy a property. They work for themselves. They all get paid the same. The good ones and the bad ones, all of them make money, which is not how it's supposed to be. I mean, we've seen some where they never go in the house. And this is before COVID, right? Drive-by yep. appraisals are happening a little more right now, but they never go in the house. They go by the front and then they send us back a low appraisal and they never even went inside. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, on my personal house a few years ago when I sold, the appraiser walked into the front room and walked back out of the house, didn't see any of the upgrades, didn't see the upgrades to the master bedroom, didn't see the upgrades to the basement, didn't see the upgrades to anything that we did in the house, and then appraised at $20,000 low. For what reason? And then when I complained about it, they basically just say, yeah, well, that's what we give. That's the value. Yeah. There's no recourse. Yeah. No recourse, and then I get to pay them. It's, it's yeah. phenomenal. The greatest thing ever for appraisers. They can do literally nothing and get paid. And if they screw it up, ah, oh well. Okay, yeah. that was a really long tangent. But you guys need to understand, I think sometimes the public thinks that the government has fixed things. And in their fixing, they have really jacked it up. Like yeah. for years, this is now 12 years running, and there's no, there's no sign that they're going to fix what they broke. So. Yeah. Anyway, so let's go back to the scenario. Let's buy something at the top of the market. Let's buy something at the bottom of the market. Let's run them for 10 years. And let's put some rules on this because everybody knows, and we're going to go to Kansas City to do this. And basically what, it, what we did, Heather, is we just grabbed some data from um, the government. And the top of the market in Kansas City was actually Q2 2007. Okay. That's when the actual top of the market was. And then it started to taper off after that. But Heather, when was the bottom of the market in Kansas City? Yeah, 2012. Q2 2012. An exact five-year run. Okay? It's crazy. Waiting so for the now, bottom, you could wait, you know, five years. <laughs> so in our scenario, this is what we're going to do, right? We're going to buy one at the top of the market. We're going to ride the depreciation all the way down to the bottom. And then we're going to come back up another five years. So it's a 10-year period. One scenario, we're going to buy at the top and ride it out. And the other scenario, we're going to wait five years with our money in the bank for the actual bottom. And then we're going to run from the bottom up for that same time. So five years with no investment, five years with an investment, or 10 years with an investment the entire time buying at the exact wrong time. I mean, literally couldn't time the wor worst time, right? That's what we're going to do. In addition to that, we're going to, everybody knows that you can get a better deal when you buy a property at the bottom of the market as far as cash flow. So we're going to give a little bit more cash flow to the person who buys at the bottom of the market. That's exactly what would happen. Mm -hmm. We're also going to buy an equivalent property. So we're going to buy at a $100,000 property and we're going to put 20, 20,0, 20% down, $20,000 down. Okay. Now, the other thing that we're going to do is we're going to keep the loan terms the same and we're going to keep the rent rate flat, which Heather, I think we yeah. already talked about this. Did we already talk about this? Not today. Not in this series. So. Not in this series. Okay. 
Well, then in a little bit, we'll tell you what happened to the rent rates, but we are, they're going to be flat. So we're not going to increase them. It's just going to be steady. Okay. In addition to that, we are not going to take into consideration tax benefits. Yeah. So the only thing we're going to use is appreciation or depreciation, cash flow, and principal reduction. Those are the rules of the game here. So let's start with the person that buys at the top. Person that buys at the top, years zero through five on appreciation, they lose. Yeah. Like their property value goes down, not up. They lose $22,000, just over $22,000. And during that first five years, they get $16,000 worth of cash flow. Mm-hmm. And someone, their tenant, is paying off $7,600 worth of their mortgage balance. Okay. And, and, and let's just say in a market where more people need to rent too. So you have a more competitive rental market then they will, it will more easily stay rented as well. So year five through 10, all of a sudden there's some appreciation because now we've hit the bottom of the market and we're going to come back up, right? It comes back up 32,830. So it surpasses where it was during this 10 year run and we get $32,000 back. So we lose 22 and we gain 32. Mm -hmm. So overall about 10,000. We're positive about 10,000. Okay. But we get another $16,000 worth of cash flow during that five years. And because we are paying on an amortized loan, there's more principal reduction in the second five years because the longer you pay, the more principal mm-hmm. gets paid because you pay mostly uh, interest yeah. up front. So this, so this second five years, we get ninety-three thirty that's been paid off. So total equity plus Cash flow plus appreciation is $59,610. All right. So almost Mm $60,000 on a $20,000 investment, which is a 300% increase. Okay. Now let's look at the other one, Heather. What do we get for the first five years, Heather? Nada. Because you didn't invest the money. (laughs) Nothing. The other thing we didn't take into account, Heather, is that. You're losing. uh, Inflation is killing your dollar. But. (laughs) That's a whole other ball. That's a whole other story, right? So you get nothing, zero. There's zero gains. You zero principal deduction, zero cash flow, zero appreciation, zero, zero. Okay. But years five through ten, you should kill it. I mean, you're we're gonna rope it. Yeah. Because you bought at the bottom, you get to ride it up to the top. What are we working with on years five through ten? Well, you're getting your same appreciation, the thirty-two thousand, right? You didn't get, lose the twenty-two, so you gained thirty-two instead of ten thousand net appreciation. Boom, killing it. Yeah, right. Um, your cash flows twenty thousand dollars because you got probably a better deal on the property. And then your principal reduction is going to be that seventy six hundred dollars, which is that, you know, same same principal reduction we had in years one through five on the other property, right? So and then all totaled, all totaled on all of this stuff. Yeah. So all totaled 60, oh, yeah. Oh 60, sorry. No, 65, 65. So they did kill it, Heather. They did kill it. <laughs> they did kill it. 65,000 instead of 60,000. I'm not sure if inflation killed $5,000 worth of their money for the first five years. I'm not sure. I'd have to do the calculations on it. But didn't really rope it. I mean, just didn't really yeah. rope it, right? No tax savings built in here either, so... Yeah, because you would have gotten tax savings. And if we actually talk about what really happened in the market, Mm -hmm. well, there was rent appreciation during this entire time. So 
it wouldn't have stayed static. There would have been rent appreciation for the first five years and for the second five years, which would have made more money. Well, for both, but there would have been more money because first one would have gotten all that that rent appreciation gain. Yeah. So yeah, it's just not it's not what you think. And here's why, Heather. If if this were a stock and all we were doing was comparing the appreciation, who wins that? I mean, number t- number two all day long, right? Because it's thirty. They get 32 and I, I only get 10 if I lost 22 and then I gained 32, right? Yes. I That's was it. For a second, but I get it now. That's it. If, if it's only appreciation, just like the stock market is just gain, well, then they win. But there's three other returns with real estate. That's, that's yeah. the thing that people leave off the table. Because everybody who owned real estate during this time that didn't sell it and it was rented and cash flowing, they made money the whole time. It's a beautiful thing that you don't, you're not limited, can make it work in any market. And it gives you flexibility and less fear at playing in the real estate space when you recognize it's not just good and bad. It can all be good if you play your cards right. So now let's go back to the mountain scenario because we're going to talk about housing starts. So these are new construction housing starts. So as you're going through the canyon this time, all of the mountains are going to be the same. It's just going to be up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Okay. Same real estate cycle, but we're not talking about appreciation. We're not talking about prices. We're just talking about how the number of houses that are started new construction every year. And we need, the population continues to grow. So if you just look, if you think about a mountain range that never ends, it just goes up. That's it. It never has a a valley because the population growth in America just goes up. That's it. Okay. So we need about a million and a half new places for people to live every year, period. Got to have them. Just, just to keep up with population growth, we need them. Mm-hmm. So, Heather, what usually happens is that the mountain range usually goes up, they overbuild, then we take those off the market, then they start a whole bunch more, and we go right back up, and then we come right back down, and we go right back up. That's how it works. Yeah. This I time, think- the graph looks way different. Way different, <laughs> Yeah. It's like a slice of pie taken out. It's a massive wedge in the growth pattern showing you that there's not enough houses for all the population growth. And I think in my own life, I know a lot of people that have moved in with family since 2008, right? And right now where I live, the housing is so expensive that they don't really have a choice besides moving in with family to save up to be able to purchase their own home because there's not enough housing options. At least that's the way it's all. I want to make sure when people are picturing picturing this this slice of pie, this is not like, you know, the girl in your family that is on a diet slice of pie. (laughs) This is like Uncle Larry that comes in and he's like, give me some pie. And it's like a quarter (laughs) of the pie. It's like a big fat slice of pie, right? Sorry, all the Larry's out there. I don't don't know if you (laughs) eat like that or not, but. It's a big fat slice of pie. So imagine all of these mountain ranges are like in Utah where the mountains just go straight up out and they mm-hmm. come straight back down, right? And that's how it's supposed, that's how it looks every mm-hmm. single cycle except for this one. It falls off a cliff and then it does that dead zone thing, right? The patient dies and then in, in this scenario, the patient kind of comes back to life just a little tiny bit yeah. and it runs at the bottom a little bit with a little bit of a bump. Yeah. But there's this massive gap. This is the deepest, longest running shortage of new housing starts 
in history. It's massive. And so that's why when we, when Heather and I were doing, I think we did a market update not too long ago, Heather, that's yeah. why we were saying, look, the reason that even during COVID, everything didn't fall apart, in my opinion, is because there's not enough houses. There's yeah. literally not enough. There's still way more demand than there are houses. Yeah. Here in Charleston, my wife and I thought about selling our house. We're scared there's no house for us to buy. Yeah. There's literally nothing on the market. <laughs> so we're holding on to our house because we don't want to have to go try to find another one. Ours yeah. will sell like that. It'll just sell in a heartbeat and we'll make a bunch of money. But then what do we do with it? Yeah. Because there's no yeah. houses on the market. I had a house on my street that the yard was pretty dilapidated and the house is fairly updated, but it sold. I think they had eight offers in one day. I mean, it's, it is crazy that they, um, that, how, how quickly they're being snatched up. And I, all I've heard from agents is there's just not enough houses on the market. So it, the prices are inflated because of supply and demand. So it's this very same, it's, it's a really good insight, Ron, about COVID because you're right. Everything, everyone always talks to me and says, well, it has to, it has to, it has to come down. And I'm like, well, I don't know. There's not enough houses for people to live in. <laughs> yeah, it, it, if we're <laughs> just talking about the housing market and we're not talking about anything else that happens, like I can't control what the, you know, yeah. our stupid government does. I, I can't control that. But if we're just talking about supply and demand in the housing market, well, it doesn't have to stop now because there's still too much demand for the supply. That just is the way it is right now. Now, at some point, are we going to go over the mountain and start coming down on the other side? Yeah, we will. Absolutely. But not anytime soon, it doesn't look like, because they can't build houses fast enough. People are buying them. And these are, these are owner-occupied folks. Okay. Now, if you live in New York City where everyone's trying to leave or LA where everybody's trying to leave, maybe not, but the rest of the country, I mean, you just can't, you can't find inventory, enough inventory. Yeah. And it's the same with the rental market. Like there's not enough places for, for people. So that also taught, that also leads to what happened that we were talking about with the rents because rents have been kind of steadily going up and then they spiked like right after the crash, they spiked. Mm -hmm. Then they leveled off a little bit, and then they've been going up ever since. And that coupled with the fact that the vacancy rates did the exact opposite. I mean, and you think about it, why? Well, it's because people were getting foreclosed on. They needed somewhere to go. Yeah. I mean, Heather, if you were to look at the graph for the vacancy rates, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're historically low. They're literally the lowest that they've been. It's incredible, really. Yeah, it is. Everything, if, I, if I could plan a perfect scenario, the only thing I would change is that all of these graphs stay the same and then appreciation just kept going, this, which would never happen. But that's the only thing that happened that was negative. We mm -hmm. depreciated for a while. Ev literally everything else. Yeah. Every other return was still kicking it. <laughs> yep. Mortgage rates. <laughs> Last year, Heather, we were, we were doing this show at the beginning of the year. We were talking about mortgage rates, thinking they got to come back up. Yeah. Here, here we are. Mm -hmm. I, I've never seen mortgage rates this low ever. Yeah. It's insane. I mean, we can get three and a quarter or three and a half. Yeah, I never thought that I would on an investment property, get an interest I rate mean, that started with three without origination, you know? So I mean, back in 2005, 2006, when, when I first started helping people buy rental properties, the interest rates were, you know, seven. Mm -hmm. And then we got down in the low sixes and we thought we were like, <laughs> Uh, I mean, everybody I was stupid happy. <laughs> I remember you know? that, yeah. We're at, in the low 
threes right now. This is just, I mean, it's, it's ludicrous. It really is crazy. It's a, it's a buying to, frenzy on the investment side because rates are so low. I mean, it's, yep. it's everyone's yep. wanting to get in the game because low rates are almost more effective than worrying about your, well, it is more effective than worrying about your depreciation on your property because you're getting cash flow. So your cash flow is better <laughs> and you're planning on holding it anyway. So who really cares if the property yeah, value drops? The interest rate is lower than the inflation rate. So you're, uh, I guess, really complicated, but in essence, your your mortgage is worth less. You're paying your dollars. When your dollars are becoming worth less, that means that the mortgage is worth, you're paying less over time and you're locked in. It's not like they can change your interest rate, right? Warren Buffett said in 2012, it's like you're shorting the dollar. And that was when interest rates were in the fives. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's really nuts. 30 years, baby. And I know you just talked about financing, so everybody should know all about financing, how it works and all that good stuff. And now, you know, you combine that with everything else that's going on in the market. This is a unique time in history that we're living. That's all I can say. Yeah. I, we'll, I, I doubt we'll ever see it again. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm getting in the game is uh, finding all my pennies this year to get in the game because with interest rates this low and the historical housing starts, all those numbers that you shared, Ron, I mean, yeah, I'm super pumped to be in the game. All right. Well, with that, I, I think we're going to call it on market. Next, we're going to next we're going to talk about property management. Um, so you do not want to miss our next installment of this. Uh, what are we calling this? I just call it the series. series. Yeah. The series. You're not going to want to miss the next installment of our series here because it's going to be about management. We're going to help you guys out a ton. So if you like this episode, if you like our show, which man, I can't thank you guys enough for all the love that we've been getting. It's just incredible. Not just in reviews, although we really appreciate them, but you guys are reaching out to us too through email and telling us, giving us some encouragement to keep going with the show. So we obviously will. We enjoy it. It is fun. <laughs> Even when it's really hard for us to do, trying to figure out our schedules so that we can be here. But we really enjoy it. So like the show, share it. Folks, one of the most important things you can do now that you've helped us with all of our reviews is just share it. Tell people about it. Don't keep us a secret. And, and we really appreciate that. You can reach us. Invest at rpcinvest.com. Email website, us. Website, uh, rpcinvest.com. Mm-hmm. And the show is at getrealestatesuccess.com. So if you want to share that with your friends, send them over to getrealestatesuccess.com. Appreciate you guys. And we will be back till then. Go make something happen. This has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to getrealestatesuccess.com.